Well, this morning, as Pastor Tim is on vacation, uh, it is my pleasure to bring the word to you this morning. And, and uh, it seems like this message each year, uh, we're coming off local evangelism month. Uh, and this particular October, I was particularly challenged by our speakers. Uh, it was so good to have Jeff Totten with us and Abraham Thomas uh, sharing with us how... Uh, we can make an impact in our local communities. And uh, it's interesting to, to see how the Lord worked out the timing with all of that. Having Abraham Thomas here talking about what they're doing in India, I think is just a great reminder of how local ministry is supposed to work. Um, and, and so I, I really hope that you were challenged by uh, those men as they shared God's word with us. Uh, and I hope that we were all encouraged how reaching out to our uh, the children in our community can have a great impact for the cause uh, of Christ. But the reality is, is that uh, it's easy for us to then kind of slip back into quote-unquote normal life uh, after a month like uh, October. So today we're going to be talking about our aim as Christians, and I want it to kind of be a follow-up uh, to our time spent together for local evangelism month. So as we're talking about our aim as Christians, the reality is, is that even the world around us understands some of the things that we'll be talking about. They have phrases that say things like, you will miss 100% of the shots you don't take. It's true. Uh, and if you aim at nothing, you'll hit the mark every time. And if you aim for mediocre, perhaps, maybe that's a better statement. If you aim for mediocre you'll likely hit your mark as well. And you know, as Christians, I think it's important for us to understand what we're aiming at when it comes to reaching people uh, in our culture. And every Sunday, but particularly during months like Missions Conference in March and Local Evangelism Month in October, uh, we hear great preaching and teaching and we're challenged to go out and make a difference. But our fallen sinful human nature wants to slide back in to day-to-day lives. Then we head out into our daily lives, but we want to make an impact for Christ. But, but then the reality is, is we want to see our coworkers come to know him, and, and we want our children to walk faithfully in the freedom that Christ offers, and we want to, to, our lost families and friends and neighbors to come to know Christ. We want them to give up their brokenness. But life hits us, and we lose our focus. Our aim becomes fuzzy. We get back to the grind and we forget about our commitment to ministry and making Christ known in our everyday lives. And, and that's why it's important for us every Sunday to gather together to remind ourselves of the God that we worship and what he wants us to do as we serve him. So that's our background leading into this message. But I think it's important that, we, that before we get to our text in 2 Corinthians 5, I also want to look at the background and context of the Corinthian church as well. So that's our first point this morning, the background and context. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 11 together. But I want us to understand that beginning in, verse, in chapters 3 and 4... Paul begins to challenge the Corinthian church. He lays down a challenge about ministry and, and what it's supposed to look like and, and what the character of ministry is supposed to be and the purpose of ministry. And, and chapter 5 comes in that vein. And so I want to make sure that we understand that. And one of the things that, that Paul really wants us to understand is that the purpose of ministry is all about God and it's not about us. We have to always, always remember that. 
The purpose of ministry is all about God and who he is, his character and nature, and making him known, and it's not about us. In fact, we learn that by the mercy of God, every believer is called to boldly minister for the sake of the gospel. Chapter 4, verse 1 reads like this, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. You see, so often when we hear, the word like, we hear a word like ministry, we think obligation. But ministry is not an obligation. Or maybe we think, well, maybe if I'm ministering, it's going to make me look good. But ministry is not about making us look good. Otherwise, we'd be discouraged all the time. And ministry is, is all about Jesus. But it's not just so that Jesus will love you more, as if somehow serving him, if I serve him and minister for him, then somehow Jesus will give me extra grace or he'll love me more. I'll be more of his child than I was before I was serving him. You see, because we cannot minister in our own strength. We are saved by the mercy and grace of God. And every time we minister, we minister by the grace and mercy of God. And we minister for the grace and mercy of God in the lives of others. So, so Paul lays that challenge down for us in, in chapter 4, verse 1. But there's also a second important background point that I want us to look at and be aware of. He also points out that we are weak vessels. Whether you are a pastor, a small group leader, someone trying to share your faith with a coworker or a peer, whether you're working in children's ministry, reaching out to your neighbors, extending grace to your family uh, that don't know Christ, wherever you are, if you are trying to serve Christ, if we're going to minister effectively for the cause of Christ, our confidence doesn't come from who we are. Let me state that again. If we're going to minister effectively for the cause of Christ, if, it doesn't matter who we are. Our confidence does not come from who we are. It can't come from who we are. If, in fact, we truly are going to minister for Christ. Paul also reminds us there in chapter 4 that this great treasure of the gospel that he describes as supernatural, he says it's the surpassing power of the gospel, and it's absolutely amazing, and yet nothing about the power of the gospel belongs to us or is ours. He has given it to us, and we are simple clay pots in which the gospel and the power of the gospel resides. We are frail, we are insignificant, but he is powerful, he is mighty, and he is great. And so that is the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we're going to be looking at today. And I think it's important for us to kind of understand that every ministry is by the mercy of God that we have and that we are simply weak vessels. And that is why we do not lose heart. That is why we don't uh, get discouraged. That is why we are not afraid. Because there's absolutely nothing amazing and powerful about you. There's absolutely nothing amazingly gifted or powerful about me. It's all about the power of God in us. And so when we face great persecution, like our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, for whom we'll pray tonight during our evening uh, service as a part of the International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church, when we face great trials or persecution like them, we can continue for the sake of the gospel and we can actually continue to say with all of our hearts, no matter what we're facing, that God truly is good because his power is made, is made strength, is made manifest in our weakness. And so that is the background of 2 Corinthians 5.21. So if you haven't turned there, please, or 1 through 11, if you haven't turned to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, please turn there now as we read together. 
For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent we groan, being burdened. Not that, they would be, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is immortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is also known to your conscience. Our first point that we're going to look at from chapter 5 this morning is this. Tents are temporary. Throughout, te- throughout history, tents are, are known as temporary shelters. While, while the Israelites wandered in the desert, they, they lived in tents. Now, granted, they may have been tents that are a lot more uh, stable than you and I are familiar with. They were made out of animal uh, skins. They, they probably had many rooms in them, most of them. And, and, and so they were a more permanent dwelling than perhaps our nylon tent uh, that we might take ken- uh, camping uh, on weekends. But they were temporary dwellings nonetheless. And one of the problems that we face uh, when we're in a tent applies equally to being in a tent as, this, as the illustration that Paul uses for our bodies as a tent. We don't uh, always know what we know. I think it's important that as we're looking at tents, we have to understand we don't always know what we know. And what I mean by that is this. Sometimes someone tells us that this is the perfect tent for a family. You can sleep eight people in this tent. And I don't know if you've looked at the little illustrations that come on the sides of those tents. They say you can put eight people in them. But you can't put eight people in them. You can't put six connections in them. Even when they were little. Right? We, we don't always know what we know. And, and, and it's important. Look at what Paul says in verse 1. He says, for we know, he starts out by telling them, this is what we know. And I want us to understand that perhaps what Paul is saying there, and I'm not saying that this should be a direct translation, but if I were showing this to somebody, I would probably tell them this. For this is what we should know. Paul is telling the Corinthian church, for this is what we know. But I think what he really means is, I've got to remind you of this truth that we know that we tend to forget because we are fallen and sinful and broken. The should is not in the text, but it should be. Paul knows that the Corinthian believers are just like him, and they're just like you, and they're just like me. He's reminding them of this truth because we oftentimes forget the things that God wants us to know. And, and I think this, the truth that's found in this passage of Scripture is really easy for us in the world that we live in, particularly in the United States, because we don't live in uh, a world where we, we have to be concerned about living in tents, generally speaking. 
And so we are, even though everything in our world is disposable because we can always buy a new one, we live in a fairly permanent culture. And, and one of the things that I want us to understand is, is through this analogy and through this illustration, Paul is using a constant contrast of our strengths and weaknesses. You'll notice the language that he uses, and Paul oftentimes does this in his writing. He's, he's giving us a comparison and a contrast. He'll, he'll use lots of metaphors to help us to understand these truths. He says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He's giving us that contrast that, that these bodies that we live in are tents, but God has an eternal home, a permanent dwelling, something that's more stable than what we currently know and understand. And and we need to to truly understand this analogy of a tent versus the building that's provided to us by God. You see, what Paul really wants them to understand is that our bodies are temporal. And that means that that they're of this world and they are temporary. (coughs) But God has, has prepared for us a permanent eternal resurrection body that all who know Christ will someday have. And so whatever your condition of your tent is right now, it is not permanent. And God wants us to know and to understand that. That someday, even though we live in this tent of the fallen sinful human flesh, if we know Christ, He has prepared for us a permanent dwelling that is not in, that is not ever going to be tainted, it is not ever going to be affected by sin, it is not ever going to be affected by the fall. And God wants us to, to understand that. Tents are temporary. But there's another thing that Paul wants us to know about our tents. And he wants us to know that our tents are uncomfortable. I, I don't know about you, but I actually enjoy tent camping. Now, there's lots of people that absolutely hate tent camping they may like the camping experience they may like being out in the woods they may like being away with the family they may like some of those things that go along with it but they don't want the tenting experience so they buy rvs they buy fifth wheels they buy something that can give them all of their permanent fixtures of their home probably been known to say things like, you know, that's nice and that's a great trailer, but that's not camping or those kinds of things. I, I'm not here to, uh, to disparage that. Ignoring the argument about being a camping purist or traditionalist or some may say snob, uh, that is not the point of what I want us to talk about. But it does illustrate the, the point that, that I think Paul wants us to understand. The fact of the matter is that tents are a little bit uncomfortable. And usually... Most people, when they are young and they can't afford an RV, they camp tent. And as they have a little bit more money that they can invest, they may invest in something bigger that is a little bit more comfortable and a little bit more like their home. In fact, even a snob like me has to acknowledge that since my neck injury, I haven't taken my kids camping. We have not gone tent camping. And I'd like to think about taking them again. And in fact, I do oftentimes think about taking them again, but I find myself, when, I, when I'm thinking about taking them tent camping, my mind begins to wander to all of the things that would make it a little bit more comfortable for me. All the new gadgets and gizmos that I could come up with. Maybe a heater for when it's cold. 
you know, because my, my leg will shake and, and my nerves get raw when I'm cold. But then if it's really hot, maybe I should have an air conditioner because if it's too hot, that's, that's bad. And I, I should be able to, to cool ourselves down a little bit. And, you know, an air mattress is nice for sleeping on at the, in, in the night, but I should probably bring a hammock for when I want to rest during the day and I can just kind of sprawl it out from be, between two trees. And, you know, maybe a nice shower would be good because yeah, I don't want to rough it out there anymore. Our, our mind automatically goes to all these things that are going to make us comfortable. And Paul tells us here, no, uh, your tent is not going to be comfortable, nor should it be comfortable. Look at verse 2. He says, for in this tent we groan. There are a lot of burdens in this life. And I don't know what's going on in your life right now that, that is making you groan in your tent. But I guarantee you that we're all facing them. We're all facing things in our life right now that make us inwardly groan because our tents are not our permanent home. You see, but our groaning should not be a grumbling against God. That's not the groaning Paul's talking about. Our groaning shouldn't be a complaining, why is it like this? Woe is me, why am I going through this? What Paul tells us is that it's supposed to be a longing for heaven. Our groaning isn't supposed to be a complaint against God. Our groaning is supposed to be a longing to be in the presence of Him and in that perfect, perfected, heavenly body. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. But too often when we're, when we're groaning inwardly and we're uncomfortable, we're not longing for heaven, we're, we're longing for comfort. We're longing for the thing that will take away the, the pain that I'm facing. We're longing for things that will, will make my life just a little bit easier. And God, I've done all these things for you, so can't I just have that? That's not the groaning that God wants for us. That's not the groaning that Paul's challenging the Corinthian church with. And we need to have a groaning that longs for eternity and God and His purposes. Tents are uncomfortable. And the other part is, not only will we groan, but while we're in this tent, we're also going to need more clothes. When you're in a tent, you may get cold. When you're in a tent, you may get rained on, and the clothes you have may get wet. When you're in a tent, it's going to be uncomfortable. Verse 4 says this, For while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. You see, Paul's introducing a second metaphor for us here, that, that we would be further clothed, reminding us again that we should be longing for the eternal, that we should put on extra clothes in the meantime. Not that, not that we should uh, want to go from here to there right now, but that in the meantime, we should be prepared by putting on extra clothes. And in rapid-fire succession, Paul introduces a third metaphor, for while we are in this tent, uh, while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. You see, we often get that inverted. We oftentimes let our life swallow up what is eternal. And Paul says, no, we have to get this right. Put on extra clothes so that, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. This life does not matter as much as eternity matters, Paul says. And so we need to be constantly thinking about that which is eternal. And if this life is swallowed up by the eternal, that's actually a good thing. But so often, we let the worries of this life, 
We let the concerns of this life. We let the problems of this life. We, we let the day-to-day grind and the things that we face of this life swallow up the eternal, and we completely lose our focus, and we completely lose our aim. And that's not what God would want for us. That's not what God would have called us to in this ministry that he has given us by his mercy. You see, if we, if we truly know the gospel, we know that God is using even our burdens, even the troubles that we face, even the persecution that our brothers and sisters around the world face even this day. Some of them will be giving up their life for the sake of Christ. But we know that when we face that, if we truly know the gospel and we are, are truly born again and, and we are truly part of his kingdom, then we can live for that which is eternal because he is using those things to make us and conform us into the image of his son. And it's not comfortable. But it is what God has called us to. And it only happens if we allow the Holy Spirit to be at work in us, to be at work in our burdens, be at work in our trials, to be at work in our troubles, not just to be at work in our good times, not just to be at work when, when I find it convenient. No. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain, and that means that my comfort is secondary to the purposes that God has for his kingdom and for his people. And so, so we've got to be careful that we're not getting that inverted. We're not allowing our life to swallow up the eternal, but instead, we're allowing our life to be swallowed up as a seed swallowed into the ground that can grow into a fruit, and bear, into a tree and bear fruit. That's what God would have for us. Look again at verse 5. He who prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. If you are here this morning and you know Christ as your Savior, you have been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of your adoption, as a guarantee of your permanent inheritance, a guarantee of your eternal home that you have in Christ. And nothing that we face in this world can take that away. And so we've got to be very cautious and very protective of living our lives in such a way that we don't let the things of this world rob us of that which is eternal. It's a challenge that all of us have to face. And it's a challenge that they faced, obviously, in the Corinthian church. And Paul was encouraging them to not be distracted, not be so caught up in the things of this temporary world that we miss the things that God would have us to see. Our final main point that I want us to get to this morning is that who we know and who we are must govern what we do. Who we know and who we are must govern what we do. Look with me at verse 6. So we who are always of good courage, we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. You see, these verses are oftentimes used in funeral services. Because oftentimes in funerals, that's, that's one of the only times where, where we can get people who do not have a relationship with Christ to think about eternal things. And so these are perfect verses for us to, to reflect upon at funeral service to cause people to think about eternal things. But it's so easy for us to lose focus on the etern- on, on eternal things. So, so we must know the one who is eternal. That's, that's what all of this 
basically comes down to, we know the fear of the Lord. Look at verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. That passage of Scripture governs that whole section above that. All of those things that being in good courage and walking by faith and not by sight, understanding that to be uh, in the body is to be away from the the Lord, and we'd rather be at home with the Lord, but right now we're living in this temporary tent. We, We understand all of those things only when we have a proper relationship with God. And that only comes through knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior. Proverbs 9.10 is a passage of Scripture that many of us are familiar with. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. But this falls into that category of when Paul first started, he said, but we know. And I think this falls right back into there. This is something that is a basic fundamental of our Christian faith, but we need to constantly be reminding ourselves of it, that the fear of the Lord is where we must start. All the other things that we worry about don't matter if we don't understand who God is and what his purposes are for us. That he is a holy, just, and righteous God who must judge sin. If we don't understand that, and if we don't understand that only by grace have we been saved through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that his life and death and and sacrifice on the cross was for our sins and not his, we can't possibly have a correct understanding of God. If we don't understand that, that his resurrection provides life and victory over sin and death, we don't have the fear of the Lord and an understanding of who He is and how we must relate to a holy, righteous, and just God. And the only chance that we have is the gospel. If we don't have that, then we're going to miss all of these other things as well. And so when He tells us that, that we walk by faith, not by sight, what He's telling us there is that we walk by knowing the fear of the Lord. When we have that right understanding that governs our faith, and we walk by faith, not by sight. Because it's easy to put our sight on these things in the world, this temporary tent, and all the troubles that you and I are facing, and it's easy to focus on those things. But when we know Christ, we don't have to do that. We can be of good courage, not because we are able to overcome these obstacles, not because we're able to face these trials in our own strength, but because we have the the Holy Spirit in us guaranteeing our inheritance and we can then face the things that this world would try to oppress us with. And it's only when we know the fear of the Lord that we can make it our aim to please Him. We can't do any of those things if we don't have the fear of God the Lord. So we have to know who we are. We have to know who we know. And then we have to know who we are. You see, what we are is known to our conscience. So when we know God and we have the correct understanding of the fear of the Lord, then then we have to also then know ourselves. And verse 11 tells us, it ends with, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. Paul's saying, know what you know. You have to know what you know. You have to know who you are and who you belong to. You see, don't be deceived. Because, quite frankly, I think sometimes the enemy wants you and I to think you are useless for the kingdom of God. That's what the enemy wants you to think. You are useless for the kingdom of God. 
Because if the enemy can convince you that you are useless to the kingdom, that you have no value to, to the kingdom, and God can't possibly use you, then you will do nothing. Your goal will be to accomplish nothing for God. And you will accomplish that goal. But also, sometimes the enemy wants to convince you that you are awesome. He may want to convince you that you are the greatest thing since the invention of the cell phone. Maybe that's not a great thing. It's a whole different, that's a whole different message. He wants you to, to just think, man, how could God have ever done it and proclaimed his name with the gospel before you were born? You are just that awesome. That's what the enemy also wants you to think. Because when you think you're that awesome, you're going to invest in you. You're going to try to accomplish things in your own strength. You're going to think you can do the things that need to get done. A proper understanding and a fear of the Lord means that what we are is known to us. We are those frail jars of clay. The power of the gospel isn't in us. And so it doesn't matter if the enemy tries to tell me that I'm useless. I may not be of great value. But the gospel that I can bear is The enemy may try to tell me that I'm amazing and that I'm awesome. But the real gospel tells me that I'm a sinner in need of Christ. And that's the only value that I have as his child adopted into his kingdom and as an ambassador for him. Do not be deceived. And Paul says to them, you've got to know who you are. But what you are is known to God and I hope also it is known to your conscience. I hope this morning that what you are if you are a child of God, is known to you and to your conscience and that you can get that relationship right and be motivated then to serve God in the freedom and the power of the gospel that resides in you. And if we are going to make it our aim to please God, we need to evaluate what we're supposed to be doing. And that little phrase, hidden, in verse 11 is so important. Because of this, it says, we must persuade others because of all of these things because of all of these things that paul says about the temporary and the eternal about living for the things that 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 are going to the last and and about understanding that we're groaning and we're uncomfortable but god is a permanent dwelling and we shouldn't focus on the things of this world but we have to focus on the things that are of eternal that's why that little phrase in verse 11 is so important so we must persuade others we do that because what we are is known to god you know you and i if you are a child of god it is not just enough for you to thank god for you being saved it is not enough for you to say i i i'm gonna just kind of live my life and um and and that's going to be good enough and you know i'm going to go to church and i'm going to worship god and i'm going to give to god but but i'm going to leave the whole evangelism stuff to somebody else All of this reminds us that that we are to persuade others. Now granted, all of the things that we talk about, doing it with gentleness and respect, and and, and always being prepared to share the gospel, all those things apply. But it is your goal and your responsibility and your aim as a child of God that you should want to tell others about what Christ has done for you. Later in chapter 5, the last two verses... 2 Corinthians chapter 5 sum this up very well. In 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21, it says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 
For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The NIV says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the gospel in a nutshell. That is what we do to persuade others. You're an ambassador for him. Even though you're in this wet, mildewy, moldy tent that has very little value in this world, you're going to have that permanent dwelling. But while you're in that tent, serve God. While you're in that tent, live for him. While you're in that tent, aim to please him. And that means we persuade others as his ambassador. So I asked myself this morning, am I aiming to please God? And I think you should do the same. If you are, you have to know what you know. If you want to please God, you have to know what you know. And and you have to continue to preach the gospel to yourself every day. Because otherwise it's so easy for us to get distracted. It's so easy to put ourselves, uh, put our minds on the things that are temporary and to get that relationship inverted. You have to know what you know. And you have to understand that this world is not our permanent home. It's just a temporary tent. And as believers, we can't live for the temporary. We have to live for that which is eternal. And oh yes, there will be groaning. We should know that. But that groaning shouldn't be a grumbling and complaining against God because of my circumstances. That groaning should be a longing for that which is eternal. A longing for God to do what only God could do. A longing for God to make use of our pain and our suffering. Not just so that we can be comfortable. And we have to aim to please, if we're to aim to please God, we have to get about the business of living for Him. And we have to make that our goal and our aim every day or else we will accomplish nothing if your goal as a child of god is to make no difference in this world then you will probably do that but if your goal and your aim is to please god then you'll be doing the things that paul challenges the corinthian church to do and i know that god will use you because it's not dependent upon you you're simply a jar of clay and the power of the gospel resides in you as it does in me let me close this in prayer Father, I thank you. I thank you that your kingdom purposes and the power of the gospel is not dependent upon us. If it was dependent upon us, we would fail miserably. We would continue to be lost and those around us would, be continue, would continue to be lost. Oh, but Father, even though you've placed us in these frail human bodies, these tents, you have put in us the power of the gospel. When we know Christ, we have the ability to see supernatural changes in the lives of others. Not because of our strength and our power, but because of yours. Oh, Father, I pray that that those who are here this morning and hurting, they may be groaning inwardly, and they may not know Christ. Lord, I pray that they would truly talk to someone and to understand what it is that Christ has done for them. And Lord, those of us who are here this morning and know Christ. Father, may our groaning be a longing for heaven, not simply for our comfort, not for our ease, not for our peace of mind, but for you and for your kingdom purposes, for all those things that are eternal. Be with us now, we pray. May your words continue to challenge us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.